On this podcast, we talk about violent crime that's not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reform Podcast, a true crime policy podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Dudick. I'm an attorney and advocate for crime survivors and legal reform. We have been digging into the Lady of the Dunes mystery from Provincetown, Massachusetts this season, and we've also been talking about DNA and privacy laws that can impact how these cases, like the Lady of the Dunes, are solved. Last episode, we talked about the process that occurs with law enforcement using DNA and genetic genealogy databases to solve crimes. This type of law enforcement method was used successfully to solve the well-known case of the Golden State Killer, as well as some other crimes. Now we're going to be talking about what it looks like at a state level, and a little bit at the federal level, for DNA and privacy laws. Since the arrest of the Golden State Killer, law enforcement and policymakers, as well as regular citizens, have realized that there is a real benefit to using DNA and genetic genealogy to solve crimes. However, we also have another issue that's arisen, and that's the fact that all of the DNA information that is available on these genetic genealogy databases could be abused and there are real privacy concerns about who accesses that information, when, and why. Because of that, some state lawmakers around the country are pushing to stop or restrict police searches of genetic genealogy or genetic code databases. These lawmakers are concerned about the privacy implication. On the other hand, there are other lawmakers who want to make it even easier for law enforcement to access these databases and use them to help solve crimes and make our streets safer. So the question that we're facing is, should law enforcement, a third party, being not the party whose DNA has been submitted, nor the entity that it's been submitted to, should they have access to personal data that people have generated by using these genetic genealogy databases. If you're not really sure how you feel about it, well, the American public is split on this also. According to a 2020 Pew Research Center study, the study was put out by the Pew Charitable Trust, 48% of Americans said that they were okay with DNA testing companies sharing their genetic data with police while a third, so about 30%, said that it was not acceptable. And we still have people who are unsure. There were about 18% who were unsure. And for those listeners of ours not from the United States, I would guess that the same approximate percentages apply in your countries. There also are not a lot of rules right now, so we're not really sure what we want to do or how it should be handled at a legal level. When you want to regulate something like how law enforcement can use genetic genealogy and DNA databases, 
There are generally two ways that you can go about it. One is federally, and that means that it's a law passed that would affect the entire country. And the other is statewide. And this means that every state gets to pass its own laws, and those states' laws only apply to that state. Now, when you have a federal law, that's kind of a base level. A state can grant more protection than a federal law does, but it can't take away protections from federal laws. As frequently happens, the companies involved have decided to try and do something on their own. Three of the direct-to-consumer DNA testing companies have decided to form a coalition and lobby Congress for federal oversight that would restrict police access to their databases and hence protect consumer privacy. So this would be something that would happen at a federal level. We haven't had any federal movement yet, and many think that because this is such a pivotal issue and it affects really everyone, that there should be federal oversight. Maybe that will happen. It hasn't happened yet. So we have our state legislatures, which are seen as the laboratories of democracy, finding different solutions to see what works best for them. And speaking about the breadth of information available, as of early 2018, more than 15 million people worldwide had undergone direct-to-consumer DNA testing and then uploaded their information. So we're talking about a large percentage of people. And when you think about all of the connections that those people have, everyone could be impacted by this. There are different databases available and one where consumers can opt in, so where they can choose to have their information shared with law enforcement to try and help solve crimes is called GEDmatch. You can go to GEDmatch's database, upload your information, and then choose to have it shared. And this is important. By the end of 2019, GEDmatch's database was used to solve many violent crimes in the U.S., at least 70 of them. These crimes probably wouldn't have been solved otherwise. And then we also have companies that actually have been using the databases to try and help law enforcement. One of these companies is a forensic company called Parabon Nanolabs, and they relied on these public DNA databases, such as GEDmatch that we were just talking about, to help identify people who were victims of crimes or who had committed crimes but hadn't been identified yet. Since 2018, 11 homicide victims and 83 crime suspects had been identified by Parabon Nanolabs using DNA databases. And they're offering these services to law enforcement to help solve these crimes. We have three companies that have joined together to try and push for some federal legislation and federal oversight. And these companies are Ancestry, 23andMe, and Helix. They formed a group called the Coalition for Genetic Data Protection, and they wanted to push for policies through this group that would require police to have a valid legal process, at least something to follow 
such as a court order or having obtained a search warrant in order to search their consumer databases of DNA information. As it is now, these companies do not allow law enforcement to search their databases unless they're legally required to do so. So they have privacy policies that don't allow it. Other companies though, like GEDmatch, have privacy policies that do allow it. And consumers should be well aware that these are the policies because it's plainly written in the information for the company. We're not without guidance right now federally. Even though there is no federal law, there is some guidance through the U.S. Department of Justice. They released an interim policy that said for law enforcement using forensic genetic genealogy, it should be a last resort and should be used with caution. However, these guidelines still allow a lot of room for flexibility as far as what constitutes a last resort. That's probably up for debate. At what time do you reach that point? And also, what does it mean to use these with caution? So ultimately, we have a little bit of guidance, but not a lot. Now, back to what our states are doing because we don't have that federal oversight. According to a June 30th, 2021 article entitled Maryland, Montana Become First States to Restrict Genetic Genealogy Searches, we now see what states are doing and how this might impact investigations. So Montana and Maryland became the first states to pass laws to make it tougher for law enforcement to search consumer DNA databases and to even access these databases. So the law in Maryland is effective October 1st, 2021. It allows law enforcement in Maryland to only use consumer genealogy websites. And these are the websites that we've been talking about, such as GEDmatch, 23andMe, Ancestry. They can only use those for what are called serious violent crimes. And these crimes are considered murder, rape, felony sexual offenses, or if there's a public safety or national security criminal act. But this doesn't just happen automatically. In order to use these databases, law enforcement have to first seek written approval from a third party non-suspect for a collection of DNA and subsequent searching. So this law in Maryland is really interesting because it puts some restrictions as to what law enforcement can do when they have what they believe is a suspect. However, what's really interesting about this is it goes not just towards the investigation, but also post-conviction. So post-conviction is after somebody has been put on trial for a crime, they've been found guilty, and they've been sentenced. So they're probably serving out their sentence in a prison. So this bill in Maryland will allow someone charged with a crime or convicted of a violent crime to file an affidavit for forensic genetic genealogy testing for post-conviction DNA testing. So the court has to decide whether allowing a genetic analysis of DNA of biological material maybe left at a crime scene or from human remains, whether that might produce some sort of evidence that can help prove that this person who is charged or convicted 
with this violent crime is actually not guilty. So that's an interesting step that this Maryland law has provided for DNA information. In Montana, which again is where I'm at, we had a bill passed this year, which is going to be law, that focuses just on search warrants. So it's not as expansive as what has occurred in Maryland. Under the Montana bill, a search warrant is required if law enforcement wants to obtain search results from a consumer DNA database. This is unless the person, the consumer, previously waived their right to privacy. Now what that waiver looks like, it could be that they said, yes, you can do this. They may have waived their right specifically in writing, or it might've been just in submitting their information. There might've been a small clause in the information that they agreed to that said that this information could be used. So it's not really quite clear yet what that waiver looks like and that may have to be modified a bit in the future. An additional way that regulation can be done in states and at a state level is not to pass a law, but to pass what is called an administrative rule. And these administrative rules are what exist when you're looking at how to put a law that's been passed into effect. So they go through a different process than an actual law being voted on by elected officials, but they do have the same effect as these laws. They just go through a different process. Four states are noted by the National Conference of State Legislatures to have administratively developed procedures for when there's familial DNA searching and partial match analysis conducted. And these states are California, Colorado, Texas, and Virginia. These rules all have something in common as a common theme woven between them. And this theme is that the DNA methods for familial testing and partial match analysis can only be used once all other leads for investigators have been exhausted. So as we talked about, we have movement at the federal level to provide some guidance from the Department of Justice for when DNA familial searches can be done, but there is no hard and fast federal rule on this yet. And we have states passing laws and administrative rules that put into place a process that will allow for DNA testing, but that also puts limits around when this testing can be done as well as what needs to occur first before DNA familial testing and using partial match analysis and DNA databases, when that can happen. So that's a summary of where we are at with DNA laws, privacy considerations, and how they intersect when it comes to using DNA testing and genealogy databases to help solve crimes. The incredible advances we've made with science and DNA testing make it possible to solve cases, even the coldest of cold cases. However, we really have to weigh these advances against the significant privacy interests that people have in their DNA, their very genetic makeup, and when that information can be accessed by law enforcement to solve cases. And we do need to provide privacy protections because it is not a stretch to realize that 
Not only will law enforcement want to use this information, but with such a rich database available, other entities such as health insurance companies will probably also want to access this information to see what diseases you may be prone to and what health risks you have in your DNA that affect your health and that could infect your health insurance rates. Now that's not allowed now, but you never know what is going to happen in the future. So it is wise to put in protections now and to set a procedure for when that information can be accessed. We've talked already about how DNA testing has been done and is being done to help identify the Lady of the Dunes. Even though it has been over 40 years, she deserves to have her identity known to be properly laid to rest and for her family to know what happened to her. Anyone who was complicit in murdering her, they also deserve to have that information known about them. Maybe in the near future, we will hear that she has finally been identified and this leads to her killer being identified. And then this mystery could be solved. We will keep you updated if there are any turns like that where we get new information and there are changes in this case. If you need to reach us or have any relevant information to this mystery, please email us at thereformpod at gmail.com. If you want to know more about DNA laws and what you can specifically do in your state to advocate for those laws so that they better protect victims, but that they also protect DNA privacy, contact your state and federal elected officials. You can find them online easily. Let them know that you're concerned about these issues and you want to know what they plan to do to help protect victims, but also make sure that your privacy is not violated. Let them know that you want them to act to both protect privacy, but to also fight for justice. And one last time, if you have any information on the Lady of the Dunes, who she was, or what happened to her, please contact the Provincetown Police Department at 508 487 1212. We want to fully thank and recognize all of our great sources and their work. Without their work, this podcast wouldn't be possible. A full list and links is available on our website, thereformpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Reform Podcast. If you liked what you've heard and you like this approach to talking about crimes and the policies, and then also thinking about what you can do to help with those, then make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss our upcoming season two. We are going to delve into the Salem witch trials. We'll talk about what really happened and what types of modern day witch hunts are still occurring today. We want to reach as many people as possible, so we're asking you to please help. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. Your voice really matters. The Reform Podcast is written, researched, recorded, and produced by me, Kimberly Dudick. You can follow The Reform Podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at The Reform Podcast, on Facebook at The Reform Podcast, and on Twitter at The Reform Pod. 
Our theme song is Be Mine by the Missoula, Montana musician Tom Catmull. We're making this show on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Pondere, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfeet, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West and throughout the U.S., and throughout the world. Wherever you are, thank you for listening. Until next time, join us on Season 2, and let's keep searching for justice. I didn't mean to buy a darling when the door locked in my little finger. Walked hand in hand. And that was just the sound of a word or a sticker. My thumb against some wood or something. I, I got nothing planned. And when the room is quiet, it's either one of two religions, joyful noise, or a wide open space. The letter pulls you short from a crowded room with your pocketbook in your heart and your mind out of place. Be mine. Be mine. Be mine. Be Is hearing lovers kiss in darkened taverns while mining your home. But when your ears fill twice with chance encounters a charming third, and you'll someday find it stained to your bones. It is particular about company, and it sparks the flame of jealousy in those you hold close. And it has no fear of poverty, the bottle of solace. You see, you are what. It needs most be mine.